Welcome back to Podcast 32 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Osbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by MyBookie.ag. For a 50% sign-up bonus, please visit MyBookie. Use the promo code. The Osbreakers terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to help us out with the cost, sponsor the website and the podcast we'd love to help you out please visit the asbreakers.com click shop and become a member and pick any of our premium handicappers get their premium plays before the line moves you can also support us on patron.com and if nothing else please visit the asbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber the nfl draft was pretty insane i must say nine trades in the very first round couldn't believe it want to recap some of that for you guys on this show before we get into the main card in our show which is the kentucky derby and we have the best guests around in mr chris felica the bear from espn college game day and marco d'angelo from wagertalk.com probably at least 55 to 60 years of horse betting experience between these two guys. Can't wait to get into the Kentucky Derby. I've done some research myself. We'll see if our three cards line up when we try to put them all together. At the end of the show, I'm going to give you a UFC play that I made. It's actually... One fight, and we're going to attack it two different ways. Massive card for UFC 274 coming this week. And I'm also going to have a podcast later this week with Chris Farley discussing the NBA for the weekend. And maybe, just maybe, and I didn't ask him yet, maybe he'll get into some UFC as well. So we'll see how much UFC we can cover this week. But this podcast is focused on the Kentucky Derby, and I just cannot wait to get into that with Chris and Marco. Want to talk a little bit about the NFL draft first, as I stated before. We did well, 10-6 and in NFL draft bets, and I'm counting those small quarterback plays we made earlier this year as one play. One quarterback, I was hoping we were going to hit it around 15-20-1 to to that one of the top three gets drafted into the first uh, pick of the draft, and that never happened. But either way, we clean house 10-6 and six in the NFL draft. Lots of line value we had coming into this thing. And I got to tell you, the best thing that happened was Kavion Thibodeau getting drafted fifth. And we had the under 5.5 for plus money, and we had the over 4.5 for plus money. When I started to find out he was dropping down the the morning of the draft, so glad I grabbed that because later that day the over became juiced. But either way, if you got that play when I sent it out, was able to middle that one as well as hit a lot of the other plays that we had as well. So he had a great draft, and I got to tell you, these teams 
still did a lot of the things that we assume that they would do. Some craziness happened as well, as we'll get into the Titans trading A.J. Brown. Absolutely insane. I think that sends a crazy message, as well as the Patriots just being the Patriots and the Bears not having a first-round pick whatsoever. Just so many little stories here in the draft. But Walker went first, and a lot of people expected that. I missed out on that one. By the time I heard it, it was close to plus 100, and I wasn't buying it. I probably should have because (laughs) it was the right move. But at the same time, I wouldn't have done that myself. I would have went Neil, offensive lineman, all the way. But it really doesn't matter because the Jaguars had a pretty dang good draft themselves. I mean, the weirdest thing about this draft is that the Jets seem to have won it, (laughs) right? I mean, they got the top cornerback in Ahmad Sauce Garner from Cincinnati in the four spot. They got what most draft boards has as their top receiver in Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. I personally think the wide receiver class was a eh, little bit above average. You know, I think Garrett Wilson has a chance to be a CD Lamb type player at best. You know, I, I'm not overly blown away by the wide receivers here. Of course, Jameson Williams with the ACL injury, that one burned me, and it would have been 11-5 and five if we got the 11.5 instead of the 12.5. But either way, uh, hopefully some of you guys got that when I gave that out because it actually dropped pretty quickly to 12.5 when I gave it to 11.5 when I gave it out over 12.5. So I'm just kind of hoping that you guys might have cashed on one of my losses here. But either way, um, the wide receiver class, like I said, not great. But let's get back to the Jets. Jermaine Johnson, they got him at the 26th pick in the draft. And I got to tell you, the edge rushers, like I said before, I thought the top three or top four were really all is equal, right? Jermaine Johnson was a beast last year. Probably did better than Walker in many ways. Did better than Aiden Hutchinson in some ways. You know, his measurables are better, right? I mean, I think that Johnson could be the best pick of the draft. And they got him at 26. The Jets had three first-round picks. But the problem is that the Jets are still the Jets. You know, So you can give a team great players, but it doesn't mean they're going to use them right, right? And it's kind of like goes back to, you know, the Miami Dolphins with Ryan Tannehill, right? The Chicago Bears with Floyd, how Floyd went to the Rams and looked way better. <laughs> you know, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, when he went to the Chiefs, looked better than when he was on a bad defense with the Cardinals. It's just about situation. But either way, you know, the Jets had a very good top-heavy draft. Now, they didn't have a fifth round or sixth round. They had two fourth rounders. But, you know, you have to wonder if you're a fantasy football dynasty player, if you're going to draft Brees Hall, right? If, if you're going to draft Garrett Wilson just because it's still the Jets and they're still a, well, they're now a defensive-oriented team with solid there. <laughs> so just a lot of things to think about 
Going to the Patriots, I don't know what the heck they were doing. You know, the name of the guy that they drafted, Cole Strange, pretty much sums up their first round draft pick. Guard Cole Strange from Chattanooga. What the hell was that? You could have got this guy in the third round or better, you know? That was just such an egotistical Belichick thing, thinking he's outsmarting everybody. I It was an absolutely terrible move that early in the draft. You know what? He played for Chattanooga. You really don't know how good he is. Maybe he had great measurables. He still played for Chattanooga. I'm sorry. He'd be playing for a Division I college if he'd be worth taking a risk on at number one, right? 29th pick of the draft, Cole Strange. They traded down because they wanted him. Maybe he panicked and wanted somebody else and they got picked up, but geez, this team has some linebacker issues and the way they drafted, not even drafting a linebacker, maybe Sam Roberts, I guess, in round six from Northwest Missouri State, another Division II school, Maybe they're going to sign the rest of their running backs that they lost. I don't know, but I, I'm just still scratching my head over that. They, then they draft a wide receiver in Tyquan Thornton. Man, it's hard to doubt Bill Belichick, but it just isn't looking good lately the way that they've been drafting players. And obviously, I could be completely wrong. This is Bill Belichick, and he has turned nothing into greatness. But now... He doesn't have the savior, Tom Brady, behind this team. And I wonder which direction they're going to go. Oh, idiot. You know, the Bears draft, everyone in Chicago, for some reason, is latching onto it as a good draft. And it blows my mind why. I think they just pick a narrative and run with it. I think it's because they have a new regime, right? If it was naggy and pace drafting these guys, they'd be absolutely murdered. I mean, no big names stick out. Now, I'm not going to lie. I do kind of like Kyler Gordon from Washington and Jaquan Brisker from Penn State, the safety. Valus Jones, a very speedy guy. I mean, he's a quiet dude. He, he didn't get all the receptions. He's kind of like a Henry Ruggs-esque, but a poor man's Henry Ruggs because he didn't play for Alabama, right? But then, you know, Southern Utah, Braxton Jones, um, Doug Kramer, the center from Illinois. I, it's just a, a tackle from Southern University. It, it, these guys are just nobody that really stuck out. Nobody really talked about them. I guess Miami, Ohio's Dominique Robinson was pretty good in the Mac. But if you remember, Miami, Ohio wasn't that great last year. I mean, even pro football focus has given them a B minus. I give the Bears a C minus in this draft. So just kind of goes with what I've seen with the Bears over the last 20 and 30 years. How can you be optimistic about any move that they're actually going to be making? You know, you can't. I, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but why would I set myself up for failure, you know, if I'm going to be a fan of this team? Another takeaway in this draft is the Lions. You know, a lot of people really like the Lions draft. 
I mean, they got the number two pick in Aiden Hutchinson, right? Then the number 12 pick, they traded down for Jamison Williams, and they still got to get the 46 pick. And they got uh, Josh Pascal from uh, Kentucky, an edge rusher. I think they did okay, especially if Jamison Williams turns out and that knee is fine and he actually looks like he's supposed to be the best receiver in the class, which I thought he's the best receiver in the class. But the the injury thing made him a little bit lower of a pick and they traded up for him. Um, I'm not seeing a ton of improvement here for the Lions, but they did pick up some guys in free agency. They decided to not go quarterback. So it looks like another year with Jared Goff. You know, I'm, I'm hoping what I saw said before, that they're not too mediocre, that they still get one of those top quarterbacks. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, you know, maybe Sam Hartman's going to have a great year. There's supposed to be a lot of quarterbacks coming in to the class. Some people are even putting like a total draft in the first round, six and a half. I'll take the under all day on that one. <laughs> six and a half, are you kidding me? Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the worst thing that can happen to the Lions is they go to like nine and eight and miss the playoffs, I think. You know, that, then they're going to have to give up some draft capital to get that quarterback because I know that golf is just not going to do it. He doesn't have the skills to be a great quarterback unless he has a phenomenal defense and a good running game. And right now the Lions haven't proven that they have either of those, especially how they looked last year. So I'm not that high on the Lions draft. I don't think it's going to be massively changing, but I do worry that they have an easier schedule, a fourth-place schedule, that they could get eight or nine wins possibly and screw themselves for next year. Finally, let's get to the Titans. I mean, letting A.J. Brown go pretty much tells you that they don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And when they drafted a quarterback, right, a quarterback after they're so happy with Tannehill, did Tannehill have a bad game? Yeah. Yeah, he had a bad game in the playoffs. But that happens. Some of those balls were 50-50 balls that were intercepted, in my opinion. He was just trying to win the game. But drafting Malik Willis, and I know it was round three, their fourth pick of the draft, still is has to be a little bit upsetting to Ryan Tannehill. And that's probably why he went out and said, I'm not his mentor it's not my job to be his mentor he's frustrated they just took his best receiver away from him you know it's almost like they're looking past ryan Tannehill to somebody else for next year very strange stuff if you think that you have a super bowl team and you have a shot at winning the super bowl you do what you got to do to sign aj brown just to keep that piece in because he was so important you know I don't think you're bringing back Julio Jones. You know, you drafted Cherryline Burks. You think you can maybe just fit him in, but and, and and maybe and maybe you can. I am not completely high on receivers, but Burks would have to be a great player, which um, <laughs> you can't just take those chances in the draft like that. You know, it's just uh, blows my mind that they did this a little bit, and you would have thought that uh, they went all in on this year instead of 
made it a little bit weird by drafting Malik Willis. I have no idea what's going to happen. But the problem with the Titans is that they're going to have a first-place schedule again this year, which can make some things difficult, especially because they got very lucky last year in a lot of spots, in my opinion. They won a lot of games. They probably uh, shouldn't have won. They, they beat some really good teams. And those teams might have been sleeping. They caught some people injured in bad spots. And they played great against those teams. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it's just if you keep having a first-place schedule, it tends to wear on you a little bit. So really interesting to see what happens with the Titans. But, I, I mean, they still have a really good squad. But I can see why uh, Ryan Tannehill is a little bit pissed off in this whole situation. Not only did he lose his best receiver, now he's got another quarterback sitting there that people are going to be questioning him about for the rest of the summer. The last thing I want to say about this draft is somehow I think the Giants did really, really well. <laughs> I wanted to be really low on this Giants team, but they got Kayvon Thibodeau at number five, and then they got my favorite offensive lineman in the draft in Evan Neal at number seven. You know, And remember when I was talking about Wandale Robinson? He was really good at Nebraska, fantastic at Kentucky, Possibly a steal in getting him in late in the or middle second round. You know, very talented guy right there. Kind of makes me like him a little bit. Got themselves a decent guard in round three. They had a lot of picks. Man, this could be a sneaky good draft for the New York Giants. I think the Giants did fantastic this draft. One of the tops, in my opinion. You know, so uh, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, the Saints didn't even bother going with a quarterback. And it's kind of like I said, um, only one quarterback goes the first round. The Saints were slotted in to pick somebody, but they're too embarrassed. They got Jameis Winston, right? They brought Andy Dalton off waivers. They've got Ian Book. And obviously, Taysom Hill is still sitting there. <laughs> still a little bit of a mess right there. I'm a little I'm a little concerned for the Saints this year. A little concerned. Not that there was a great quarterback class, but you know, none of those quarterbacks that they have get me excited. Why not make a run at like uh Jimmy Garoppolo or something? I maybe they still will, I don't know. But not loving uh the Saints quarterback depth chart right now. And I almost feel like they're wasting a lot of talent until they get that position figured out. All right. Well, that's enough draft recap. We can go on for hours about this stuff. Let's bring on our guests and get into the 148th Run for the Roses, Mr. Marco D'Angelo and Chris Felica. Now, I'm very excited to welcome back to Elite Sports betting and horse racing handicappers. You know them as Mr. Marco D'Angelo from wagertalk.com, the Pony Pundit Show, and Mr. Chris Felica from ESPN College Game Day, Daily Wager, and the Stanford Stephen the Bear Podcast. Please follow them on Twitter at Marco in Vegas and at Chris F A L L I C A. Guys, thanks for coming back to talk about the 148th edition for the Run for the Roses. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Uh, this is the time of the year I love. Uh, Kentucky Derby. You got all the sports going. You got 
hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs, baseball in full swing. This is a, you know, next to football, this is the best time of the year for me. Yeah, it, it, it really is with everything. And we're getting into the season where we got some golf majors to throw in as well and some big tennis tournaments. And we're supposed to go to Louisville for the Derby, but uh, what I thought was just a little uh, allergy, nasal sinus congestion turned into full-blown cold and congestion. So uh, it's nothing else other than that, but we're going to, we're going to sit here and decide not to sit in the rain for a couple of days and, <laughs> and just uh, rest up and send it in from home. So uh, we still got plenty of information. Have a great time this weekend anyway. You know, it's not the worst thing to do. Sit on your couch no. and just relax, watch it on TV, not avoid all the hassle. I mean, you were just through a ton of hassle with the draft and all that stuff in Las Vegas. So I imagine that. And uh, I was going to ask you if you were going to be in attendance. And, you know, you were the plan was to go, but now obviously the cold – Set yeah. you back a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, I was in no shape. I was in no shape to get on a plane this morning. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm sure the people around you would thank you. I was going to say everybody else. Everybody else around me will, will be very appreciative of that. Bring back the mess on the plane, guys. <laughs> well, well I, I would. I would probably. I probably would have had a full body suit on to to keep others. Uh, away from my germs and i would have been sneezing and coughing around just, just tell them you're bubble boy or something that would have that would have worked <laughs> out for you but uh, anyways it's cinco de mayo so obviously uh chris a little bit down in the dumps but it's cinco de mayo today i was going to ask how you're celebrating it but apparently chris is a little bit down for the count marco are you doing anything uh, after I get done with all the shows that I'm doing today for the Kentucky Derby, uh, probably a nice dinner, maybe a you know a couple hours of poker tonight, and just chill. Well, get I, some of those drunk Cinco de Mayo players. <laughs> you round them up, man. Round them up. They will show up for you. You just uh, creep on in when the time is, is uh, telling you to do that. I'm probably going to have myself uh, a fundito. You guys ever eat a fundito? It's it's yep. a it's a chimichanga. It's a fried chimichanga sl- smeared with cream cheese on top, and then cheddar on top of that, and it's got guacamole and obviously sour cream. It's it's absolutely loaded and one of the most delicious Mexican experiences that you can have. I might have that with a margarita. I highly recommend it. You haven't lived until you tried the fundido, fundido Chris. Now, 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 is this something that? That you and your your wife make at home, or is this a, a specialty of a, a place that you go to, or is this something that's common at any um, at any Mexican restaurant? Like I, I, I'm I'm curious here. I wouldn't say that it's Sounds like really I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not something we make. It is from the authentic Mexican restaurants down here. There's a few of them. Next time you guys come down, make sure you send me a text. We'll go ourselves a fundido. I know how much you like cr- cream cheese, Chris. So uh, it's something that is well <laughs> worth it. Just it it, 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 you might need a cholesterol pill afterwards. I, that, I just got to tell you that. But it yeah. is it is literally that delicious. I, I'm looking forward to that for my dinner tonight. Maybe uh, if my baseball goes well, I'll have a margarita or so too. So we'll, we'll see how my night goes. But happy Cinco de Mayo to all of our viewers and our listeners. Uh, hopefully we have a great show for you and give you some winners here. But before we get into the Kentucky Derby, uh wanted to talk a little bit about college football now that I have you on, Bear. And, uh, you know, I, I was wondering if you made any – I know it's early, way too early, right? I, the transfer portal still going and all that. Um, is there anything you might like or have already liked for next year? 
Yeah, I haven't played anything. I mean, right right now, I, I think it's a little difficult to see anybody other than Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State winning it and winning the title. Uh, there may be teams that could make the playoff uh, from the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or whomever, but uh, there isn't a ton out there worth playing right now. I will say I am curious to see what the win totals um, drawing up yet for UCLA will be. I'm curious to see what the win total for Michigan State will be. Uh, if you look at UCLA's schedule, uh, there's a really good chance that the Bruins are going to be five and zero before they have that game uh, with Utah, and then before they ha- and they have the game with with Oregon. So uh, the UCLA could be poised to have a pretty big season, and uh, I'm curious to see how Michigan State does after uh, having a great season last year, winning probably three games that they had no business winning. Uh, a team that won a lot of close games and kind of got uh, a lot of turnover luck like that. A lot of times they regress. Uh, the following year, so I'm, I'm, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Michigan State's win total right around eight, eight and a half. And if that's so, I will be ready to uh, to pounce on the under there. <laughs> yeah, I know that, that that team had a lot of things going for them last year. Uh, I thought you were going to say maybe James Madison to win the Sun Belt or something. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, we can't we can't forget that. And they're a hell of a school coming into FBS here. Um, I bet you they're certainly not the uh, least favorite one to to win this thing. The Sun Belt going through some changes themselves, and uh, I'm just really curious to see how this team does. I think it's a little exciting that James Madison's uh, mm-hmm. coming on up, Chris. And you're gonna be you're gonna have to talk about him now, aren't you? Uh, that, that that's great. I got no problem talking about uh, that team. Are they there? A two time game day host, and uh, they're they're not gonna get the uh, the Bellarmin, uh treatment from the Sun Belt, right? They're gonna actually be eligible. <laughs> To play in the conference championship game if they do uh if they do get there right they're not going to be like oh no no you can't go to the tournament i hope so basketball i didn't hear that they weren't that would be that would be horrible i mean with how bad that conference been getting beat up lately too i think that uh they would would allow that i would wonder also you know just their season win total so too. just their season win total would be something i'm gonna be curious to see not that i uh i'm gonna know everything about them but i'm gonna dig in as deep as i can just like i do pretty much every other team coming into the season 131 teams there should be in fbs this year but one bet that i did make chris is Something that it's not like I'm a fan of this team, but I am a Big Ten fan. I did take Ohio State at six to one plus six hundred to win the national championship, Chris. And, and the reason I did this is because how often are you going to see an Ohio State team return this kind of talent? Right. I mean, if you look at Bill Conley's stuff, he had earlier Ohio State ranked twenty fourth in returning production. That's just unheard of for like the Alabamas, the Georgias, Ohio State, you know, the big mm-hmm. name colleges. They get CJ Stroud back. I got to tell you, I liked Olave. I liked Wilson, but I'm not sure that uh, Smith Najigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. aren't better than those guys, you know, coming in. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Sorry to cut you off there, but no. uh, I don't know if you remember during the year, uh, Kirk Herbstreit sat down with those wide receivers. Uh, and they did a little a little feature on them, and they all and Kirk point point blank asked like, "Who's the best of the bunch?" And you, it was unanimous that Jackson Smith and Jigba was the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. So uh, he is super highly thought of uh, in that room in that program. And you talk about the returning production, yeah. When you when you have uh, Trevion Henderson coming back and your starting quarterback and right wide receivers with the production. Of, uh, of Harrison, Harrison and Smith and Jigba, like, yeah, they, who in the Big Ten is going to beat them? 
I know. And they found the groove at the Rose Bowl. That Michigan loss really hurt them uh, psychologically. And I, I just kind of think that this could be their year. But you look at Georgia and Bama it being at like plus 200, horrible odds, obviously, and plus 300. It's like they still have to play each other. You know, Ohio State, they, they can afford to lose at Penn State, at Happy Valley, but they do get Michigan at home. They get Wisconsin at home and they get Iowa at home. Really, the, the tougher, the, the ones you're maybe slightly concerned about from the West, Wisconsin and Iowa, they get them at home. And um, Notre Dame is their non conference game. And I, this Irish team, is going through massive transition yeah yeah massive transition new coach no returning production whatsoever and it's in like you said in columbus this year the very first game i 14 point spread right now or something like that i i just think that you know even ohio state can afford a hiccup and they're still going to win the big 10 national championship against anybody in the west so at six to one I think that was mispriced, so I, I I took a little bit of a taste of it. So um, ho- hopefully that comes through. It's it, it's one that uh, I'm not going to make any interest off, Marco. <laughs> I, have to, I have to wait till wait for a while to see what happens on that one. But let's get into the NFL a little bit, Marco. And uh, you know, myself as a Bears fan, I really would love to know. Which quarterback's going to be starting for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mitch Trubisky <laughs> or Kenny Pickett? Well, I'll tell you, a total, uh, you know, my first impression when I got the news that they signed Mitch Trubisky, <laughs> I was sitting in a dentist office waiting to have a root canal. And I tweeted out, <laughs> suddenly the analogy. root canal doesn't seem as painful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, but the more I thought about it afterwards and what they got for the contract that they signed with Mitch, uh, I think this is a good stopgap to Kenny Pickett. Now, did I know at the time we were going to end up with Kenny Pickett? Um, you know, there were a lot of smoke screens there. A lot of people, you know, uh, were saying the Steelers, if they did go with a quarterback in the first round, they were looking at the Liberty uh, kid. Uh, and it just uh, you know didn't work out. We didn't think that Kenny Pickett would still be available at twenty on the board. And then once they signed Mitch, they said you know a lot of people thought, well, knowing the Steelers and the way they've handled the draft, they weren't going to go first round with the quarterback. But lo and behold, they did. I don't know, guys, if part of this is uh, trying not to make the same mistake twice. Uh, one of the few regrets, maybe that the. Rooney family has had over the years because we know, and I know I'm biased, but you can look at the track record, the number of coaches that we've had, the times that we actually do sign free agents. The Steelers are a very good run organization. The one mistake they might have made was not drafting the local boy, Danny Marino. Uh, you know, they caught a lot of flack for that with the uh, you know, his career numbers. I mean, things worked out for the Steelers okay. You know, we still got six Super Bowl trophies in Pittsburgh. Uh, that uh, kid from uh, Ohio did okay, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, over his career. So I think that the fact that they had that opportunity to grab the local kid, and even more so now that they share the same, org- you know, the same facilities, the, the practice facilities, the stadium, you know, uh, being familiar with everything there, it, it was a natural fit. I know a lot of people are going to – I was waiting for you to make the joke about the hand size, uh, you know, that uh, he has small hands. But you know what? He did well uh, putting up big numbers at Pitt. 
And I know, and I said this many times, and I it was my bash on uh, Mitch when you guys drafted him as high as you did with Chicago. You know, he only had 13 games in the ACC. And, you know, the ACC, outside of Clemson, I don't know that there's even a team that can spell defense, let alone play it. So, uh, you know, I, those numbers are always inflated. But I think he'll have time to learn. They're not going to start Mitch – or, excuse me, not start Kenny Pickett. I think Mitch will get the job. He will be the stopgap until the Steelers – and still either he runs into trouble – or the Steelers are out of playoff contention, then we see Kenny Pickett. The odd man out is going to be Mason Rudolph. I think he gets traded uh, either during the preseason or at the end of the preseason when some other team has a quarterback go down and needs a backup. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mason Rudolph, I don't know what people would give for him. I mean, I remember he was drafted. I was wrong about Rudolph. He was one of my sleeper quarterback guys. I thought he was going to turn out a lot better than he ended up turning out. But, uh, you know, I mean, Pickett's hand size has been ripped apart completely this offseason. He wears gloves. He, uh, he can palm a baseball, right? I mean, it's not that small, <laughs> is it, Marco? I mean, maybe maybe a women's softball? I, <laughs> I don't know. But one thing, I'll, one thing I'll tell you about Mitch is we really don't know how bad he is because that's how bad the Bears coaching staff was. And the Bears coaching staff was terrible. They, they, uh, his first year, they should have let him run more often and they didn't you know and then guess what you've seen him torch the bears number one defense in the preseason and they were trying that game don't give me they weren't they were trying mitch torched them with better coaching now mitch has got some house money he he could turn out man he's got the size well if he got his confidence that's all what i've always said he could never get his confidence with matt nagy as coach if he can get his confidence this year you got a shot my friend so it's going to be really interesting to see how this all turns out but speaking of weather, Chris, um, you know, I, the, yeah. early, the earlier report on, in Louisville for the Derby was decent. I, I thought it was going to rain on Friday, but then, you know, I looked yesterday and it started changing. Then it says muggy, then rain in the morning. Do we do we know exactly what's going to happen come uh, come time? It looks like it looks like Friday is a complete washout, and it looks like the rain is continuing later into Saturday than, than what we expected. So uh, I would certainly expect a uh, uh, some of these uh, non-stakes, non-bigger non handicap turf races to be maybe taken off the turf to try and save that beautiful turf course that they have for the for the bigger races. And uh, I, I don't know. We, we, we've seen that main track go from wet, fast, sloppy, muddy to, to fast and good pretty quickly uh, later in the day. So... I don't know if it'll fully be an off track, but but I don't necessarily think there's going to be a track with uh, zero moisture. That's for sure. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, uh, let's hope it, it, it's decent. I mean, Marco, you, you kind of wish that they bring the uh, races out here, out west, my man. I mean, <laughs> you can't get rid of the sun, it seems, uh, this time of year. But um, it is what it is, and it's part of our handicap sometime sometimes and if it's really wet one thing i didn't look into is mudding mudders you know horses that love the slop and uh, uh maybe that's something you guys can talk about a little bit but um it's de it's definitely something that i'm kind of holding out for to see what i'm going to do with this with this derby because i haven't made any plays yet and I, except for that one play that marco gave out to us back in december which was uh obviously gonna give me some pretty good outs here 33 to 1 Marco gave us on Epicenter, and I, I got to tell you, man, 
thank you for that, and I'm on it as well. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm on it, and you know that's one of those ones that worked out uh, well for us. And uh, you're giving me a little bit too much credit. It was early January, not December. Oh, okay. but uh, we 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 got we got it there, and uh, so I'm going to be a little biased when we're talking about our horses uh, for the show because uh, I'm definitely rooting for Epicenter. But uh, there is one horse that concerns me in this race a lot. And when we break it down, I'll be curious to see what Chris thinks. And uh, that's there's one horse that uh, might have a little bit of traffic trouble, but if he gets a clean trip, I I could be in trouble on Saturday. And that's what we want. You know, even if we made a good bet and got a good number, we want honesty and we want to see how this is pretending we don't even have this ticket completely. So that is uh, exactly what we're looking for here. Why don't you give us a quick refresher, Marco? on why this race itself is so important to have a decent-sized card. Well, this is the part where when we talk about sports betting, usually when I'm on here, you know, we're betting sports, and everybody is familiar with betting sports. When you bet sports, it's you against the house, okay? You walk up to the window, you take the Steelers, you know, minus six or plus six, whatever the line is, and it's you against the man for that 110 to 100. Uh, that 10% vague. But when you're betting horses, you're not betting against the house. The house makes the same amount of money in every race. It's a percentage of what the total pool is. The rest of that pool is divided up among the winning bettors, the guys that have the winning tickets. So when you get a race like the Kentucky Derby, to put it in its proper perspective, it's basically the Super Bowl. It's an event. You get people that never bet all year long are going to bet the Kentucky Derby. What that does is it inflates the pool. You got oversized betting pools with a lot of dead money in there. And I'm not competing against the house. I'm competing against all those other guys. And not to sound egotistical, but I know more than the average guy betting the horses. And that is to our advantage where you can get some really big balloon payouts. A few years ago, we made a major score in the Kentucky Derby. My favorite, and I didn't even have the winning horse on top. I had the horse that ran second, was my key horse that made my ticket. And that was looking at Lee a few years back, ran second at a huge number. And we bet $390 in tickets in the, the Kentucky Derby. And we brought back over $9,000 with an $8,000 trifecta 300 and some dollar you know exactly it was you know balloon payouts for us and i'm still kicking myself that i didn't play the super that day because the super was over 100 grand but you know that's another you know another story if 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 and ands were candy and nuts you know how that goes but this is why is a better a sports better any type of guy looking for positive ev the kentucky derby presents that exactly now now, come on marco you you don't think they're actually going to be people out there that might be New York Rangers fans or hockey fans or Edmonton Oilers fans that are just going to bet Messier because of that name now, do you? (laughs) Absolutely not. And how many women are not going to bet Charge It? (laughs) Because that's what they do best. That's my wife's favorite horse. (laughs) They should have a a course called Extra Battery because that's what I'm doing on plane flights is finding my extra battery for my wife. But uh, now it makes total sense. And, and that's why having a decent sized ticket, it's almost exponential. You know, you get a much bigger chunk of that pie. Great explanation there. 
and it makes total sense. And uh, add a little inflation to that too, baby. We we might have to go with these horses. Uh, might have to, our ticket might have to get a little bit sweeter this year. We'll see. We'll see how far we can go. But um, let's talk about the uh, strength of this field, uh, Chris. What do you what do you do when you compare this field to other Kentucky Derbies? Where do you put it? I don't think it has the, the 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 upper echelon horses like a lot of previous derbies had. Like I think Epicenter's a nice horse. I think Xander's a nice horse. I really don't think we know uh, a whole lot about about Taba just because he's only run twice. I think there are some that think he could potentially be the most talented horse uh, in, in the fields. I, I think it's a good field, but I also do think there are probably seven horses in this field that have no business being in the race and really uh, watered it down. And, and I think that in the turn helps narrow out. Like I, I love hitting the all button for third, but I, I think there are like seven horses here that you don't even need to include uh, in, in the all button for try. So, I mean, it, it, it's the derby. People want to see their horses run uh, and, and that's fine. Uh, but but I, I think that does work out a little bit to our advantage because I do think the, uh, the A horses per se are, uh, are, are very few here. Makes sense. And Marco, you agree? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't see what the odds are on it, but there's usually the uh, will there be a triple crown winner out of this year's crop? And I think it's a resounding no. Uh, I don't think there's a superstar in this uh, crop. I think they are very uh, close. And I think a lot of it will depend on trip. And, you know, horses get the right trip. They're going to win the race. Uh, and a horse that might be the better horse, per se, uh, could run into traffic and not get there. And uh, I, I would definitely bet the no on Triple Crown for this season. All right. Well, there you go. Right off the bat, a no to the Triple Crown. Was that minus 500, minus 600 right now? Something like that? It's probably higher than that, usually. I probably higher. Yeah. Okay. Trying to compare it to some other ones I thought of in the past. So uh, who's taking the lead in this horse or this race? Uh, who's the pace setter? There's several horses that could go to the front. Um, there's a lot of horses that have tactical speed, uh, and that's the key in this race. Do you want to be on the front? I think, obviously, you start with Epicenter. Uh, with post three, he's got no choice. He's going to have to gun out of there because he doesn't want to get you know pinned down at the rail. Now, does he want to go right to the lead? Uh, I think you know when they get out there, uh, Joel Rosario is going to take a look to his right and see how many horses are coming with him. Uh, and he may decide if there is the cavalry charge from the outside to just carry them a little bit and then turn them loose and sit right in behind and let them do the battle. Um, horses on the outside, like, you know, a horse like White Abario has some tactical speed, wants to leave, doesn't want to take back from the outside post position like that. I think he has post position 15. He's going to have to go. You've got the horse that, uh, Chris already mentioned the, you know, very inner intriguing horse, Taba, in this race. Uh, he's got speed, but he showed in the Santa Anita Derby that he could take off the pace. He broke out of the gate. He was the first one out of the gate. And then he let the two more experienced horses go ahead and do battle. And that worked out well for him because he came back uh, in the stretch to pass them. It worked for him in that sense. He could do that again, but I expect – there to be a cavalry charge, four or five horses going out of there trying to grab position. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think with, with the, uh, the the derby point system is kind of 
negated a lot of the the sprinters uh, and the cheap dead speed in this race uh, is really gotten away from that. But but I think this year, I do think we might see a little bit closer to a, of a return to what we're used to seeing with with, with your dedicated front runners. Uh, you, you mentioned Messier. Uh, the, I think both of those horses from the UAE Derby have some speed. Classic Causeway, Messier, like who knows what Pioneer of Medina is going to do. Like I, I yeah, Zozos, like I, I think there are horses in this race that uh, I think you need to make the decision where is the goal to, for their owner is just to, okay, we have a, a horse running in the Kentucky Derby. We want to see it run and we just don't want to see Maybe we want to have the lead in the Derby. Or is the goal to run these horses and just not finish last? Like, like, like that, that's ultimately that's what I think has happened a couple of times in the last couple of years, where there have been horses that they haven't been ridden the way that they should have been ridden, just because they, the owners just really wanted to see the horse go around the track. But I think this year, I think we are going to get a truer pace in the race, and um, and and that's good for for people like me. Uh, indeed, that I like handicapping a race. I like handicapping and betting on horses that potentially come from off the pace. And, and I think that gives me a much better chance this year of cashing a ticket. Oh, closers. All right. Well, there you go. You know, uh, real quick, give everyone a background. Bob Baffert is obviously suspended here, but his backup, Mr. Tim Yachtine, has taken over a couple horses here. Uh, I believe one of them is Messier and the other one is Taba. And I think we're calling them what? Yakfurt horses? Is is that the word for yeah, it? Now? Yeah, 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 back teen. Like like I think that's really really a question <laughs> that you need to ask yourself, but one of the first questions you need to ask yourself when when you're handicapping the race and I don't know how Marco feels like I'm treating those horses like they're still on the backer plan. Like, like I still try am treating them like Bob Baffert is a trainer and 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 that's how I'm going to attack the race because I think if you don't uh, then you fall into a situation where maybe you're sitting there after the race being like, why didn't I bet Taba at 12 to 1 or 10 to 1 or whatever to win this race? Of course, Bob Baffert was calling shots. All right. Yeah, makes sense. I agree 100%. Uh, it is good. In <laughs> if any other year, we know the history of Bob. What's he won? You know, five of the last six or whatever. I mean, it's been yeah, the Bob yeah. Baffert show um, in – wouldn't it be the the ultimate uh, you know fu from Bob <laughs> if uh, one of those two horses win this win this race and you know and he's still a factor uh, when they don't want him to be a factor and I, I'm really surprised that they let the you know I know the owners can't shouldn't be penalized but you said it Chris it's still Bob Baffert calling the shots I don't care what anybody says I don't care what Tim says. Um, Bob's calling the shots on these horse, uh, the, their training schedule, everything else. The only thing he might not be calling the shots on because it's, you know, Tim and it's his reputation is whether or not some groom's going to have a patch on that's going to pass something <laughs> through a, a horse or whatever on race day, you know, how things, uh, you know, always happen, but they're never Bob's fault. <laughs> never Bob's fault, you know, and I know that, there's a lot of people that don't want to see Bob win. 
I can't look at it like that. I, I like money. I, I like I like winning. I, I'm not even going to factor it in that you know he, these horses might be jerks and, and might be bad. Yeah, I'll, for- I'll, 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 be, I'll be following the person that that the the person that's got the uh, the bag of Jimson weed and the salon paws. Yeah, that, that's the uh, wherever that person goes, that's where I'm going. There you go. There you go. Well, let's get into some of these. Uh, favorite horses here let's start with epicenter and zandon you know these horses are on the three and a half to one three to one right now i mean these odds have been kind of moving around a little bit um are these deserving top two favorites we'll start with you marco uh absolutely uh epicenter's the horse the one horse that's done everything asked of him um you know on the road to the derby i mean he he's won four of his last five races the only race that he got beat he got beat by a head, and I don't think uh, Rosario saw the horse coming. I mean, he was in an epic battle with uh, Papa Cap down the stretch. Uh, those two were dueling, and he put Papa Cap away. And how many times have you seen it in horse racing, Chris? You put away that that horse you're battling with, and the horse sees nobody in front of him. He thinks the race is over. And, you know, I don't want to say shuts the engines down, but, you know, relaxes just a bit and bam, out of the corner of your eye, you see this horse coming from the clouds and you just can't get engaged, you know, fast enough to hold him off. And that horse goes by you. And I think that's what happened to Epicenter in that race. If he comes into this race, you know, winning all five of his last starts, uh, then I think he's the clear cut favorite. But there's two horses that are going to get the money. They're deserving of it. One thing to throw out there, and it's going to affect the wind pool on race day. Our buddy Mattress Mac is going to be making a bet on the Derby, as he always does. He's got some kind of promotion at the furniture store. He always hedges his, you know, his bet with the the furniture store promotion, and he has said he's going to bet three million dollars on the favorite. Well, the problem is. We may not know who the favorite is, uh, you know, at what time he's going to make that bet. After he makes the bet, we know who the favorite's going to be, <laughs> for sure. sure will. But then he backtracked a little bit and said, if there's co-favorites, he's going to put a million and a half on each. So what that does is, you know, pretty much we know, talking this show, and I, and I don't know who Chris's pick is, but I kind of told you who my two are when I said about traffic problems with the horse that concerns me, uh, and that's Zandon. So the two horses that are going to be the favorites are going to get money and are going to get an influx of either three million or a half million and a half each. That's going to help the odds if you like one of the other horses in this race. It's really going to sweeten your you know your win bet if you want to take a shot with somebody else. Uh, you know, three million is three million. We know this is going to be you know a big handle, but you put $3 million into the handle, that's going to dent the win odds a little bit for sure. Yeah, and I do believe he's also said that he's going to bet Smile Happy. Obviously, he owned Run Happy, who's the yep. sire of Smile Happy. So if you're expecting anything close to the 20-to-1 morning line on Smile Happy, just forget it because you're not going to get it. Uh, yeah, he, he's gonna, That horse is going to be bet down dramatically once he uh, once he makes the bet there. 
Oh man, smile happy. Okay, so it, so it looks like he's going to go with those horses. And if there's a co-favorite, maybe bet them both. You're right; that will go down a little bit. So so the epicenter and Zandon, according to you guys, are you know definitely favorites that are somewhat deserving or pretty deserving here. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate here and, and be the be the bad guy and be the villain and be the heel. Maybe rain a rain a little bit on the episode of parade. I'm, I'll certainly would be very happy if he won for for you two. But I just I wonder from post three the fact that uh, Rosario is going to have to use him a little bit earlier in the race. How vulnerable that's going to leave him later in the race for a horse like Zandon or maybe Wadabario if he doesn't go all the way to the front from the outside. Or a horse like Cyberknife, like like I wonder, I wonder what that does, and you, you kind of you, you don't want to like completely knock the horse, but okay, you got away with an easy lead in the Risen Star and wired the field. Uh, yeah, it was a great Louisiana Derby that he ran. I don't know how good that field was. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think the inside draw. I think the fact that he beat Zandon on his home track, and I think Zandon had plenty of excuses in that race. Uh, I don't know. You got Asmussen, obviously, who's 0 for 23 in the Derby. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. He can certainly win, and Steve certainly sounds like he's fairly confident for this for this race. But at the same time, I mean, it's it's a horse race, as you guys know, and, and a lot can certainly go wrong. So I'll play a little, and, and I. I, what I did is I watched the replays of most of these horses, except for the maybe the really bad ones. I, I you know, Bluegrass, watch that again, Arkansas Derby, Florida Derby. And if I'm going to be devil's advocate against Sandin to protect me and Marco's 33 to 1 integrity, <laughs> I'm going to say that this horse came from. Stick the- up for your guy. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm just going to try to make an argument, but he came back from the end of that bluegrass, right? And uh, part of that, uh, the announcer goes nuts. I mean, he just ah, ah, like he just won the triple crown or something. And I, I thought, I thought that was a little bit hype, and, and yeah, it, it brought excitement to this horse. But I looked at the fractions on that race; they seemed a little slow to me. Now, maybe that could be a good thing. If the fractions are slow because he's a closer, that means he's just do that much better if they're faster. But I don't know. I just thought that race was a little bit strange to me. And um, I, I just don't like him at three to one personally. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to end up on him anyway as a favorite. Um, and I did love his speed there coming through. But um, I'm going to use him as a saver probably at least. But um, I, I can't pick both of these, guys, you know. So I'm no, and, and that's the, and that's the thing, Gav. Like it, the, the Derby does not come back favorite over second choice. Like it's happened twice in like the last forty five years. So if you're if you're if you're betting Zandon over Epicenter, odds are it's not going to come that way. And you're really we talked about uh, just dead money in the pool. Like I personally think a Zandon Epicenter Exacta is dead money in the pool. So I, I agree. I think you have to look elsewhere and i think you have to i don't necessarily want to say throw one of those two out but 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 i do think you need to make a a choice as to which one you like better and kind of work around that yeah possibly bunching them up too much is going to be awfully costly especially if they did come in to want to do it's like that can be a huge ticket for you anyway but i do wonder if he's going to come from behind of a 19 or 20 horse field that'd be a lot harder than you know the the bluegrass. You know, coming from behind was it eight or nine horse field, Marco t- ten something like that. Um, 
So that that makes me scratch my head a little bit. Is he going to be way in the back? Well, his problem is his own worst enemy. He doesn't break out of the gate well at all. You look at his starts, uh, this horse just – he had seven posts, he got away tenth. Had seventh post, got away seventh. Uh, had two posts, got away sixth. That's been his nemesis. Now, to go back to what you said about the slow fractions, time-wise in the bluegrass, that actually makes his come-from-behind effort that much more impressive. Because, you you know, the slower the first half, the tougher it is for a stone-cold closer. And he came from way back in that race. Uh, he was actually 11th at one point in that race and swooped the field. Now, the one key, and I'll admit, I you know, when it comes to jockeys, I probably have a little bit of a man crush on Flavian Pratt. I bet a lot of West Coast, you know, horse racing. And he has owned the West Coast. For the last several years, uh, Flavian Pratt, you know, Santa Anita, the Del Mar, you know, we know how much I love the Del Mar circuit uh, during this, you know, the summertime. And he's picked up the mount on Zandon for the bluegrass and he rode him patiently. He never panicked when he was sitting 11th. Um, he got the horse in position. Now, granted, he swooped the field. And the thing that I liked is once he got the lead, he opened up by, you know, two and a half right away, and he was under wraps to the wire, okay? This horse had a ton more left in the tank off of those slow fractions. This is the third start in the form cycle off the layoff. Uh, being a horse guy, I own horses. I've always, my trainer will tell me all the time, you know, when we come back. I raced a horse today uh, at my home track, the Meadows. It was the horse's first start in five months. I was ecstatic. We finished third in the race. Um, first time, you know, off the bench. Second start, you're better. We saw that last uh, in the last start with Zandon. But the third start is always the best in the form cycle because as much as you train them in the morning, it's not race speed. It's not what they go through in the races. And when you get those two starts under you, you got that foundation, your trainer is going to come back and tell you the horse is sound. It's ready to go. You know, if they need to push the accelerator earlier in the race, this horse is ready for it. And I think that Flavian Pratt is going to try to get this horse out uh, of the gate better. Is he going to be in the top flight? Hell no. But I don't see him being in the last five in this field. I think he'll be more mid-pack, somewhere right between 10th and 14th. And if he's that close and he gets a clean trip, I think this is his race to lose uh, as much as i want to see epicenter zandon scares the hell out of me man so is it, I, you're talking me you're talking me into using uh epicenter as my fail safe now <laughs> 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 is it fair to say zandon's both your favorites yeah I, I think the, yeah I, I i like zandon more than i do epicenter in this okay this race given how i see the pace of the race and the post position is going to be okay excellent so Let's talk a little bit about Taba then. And this horse had only two races, you know, the Yakford horse, right? And not a ton of experience, but I look back, 1883 was the last time that a, a, race, a horse with only two races before the Kentucky Derby won this thing. How much should we look into that, Chris? Is that, is that a valid trend? No. I, I, I think, I mean, racing is so different now Can uh, Compared to what it was, I, like I mean, Justify only had three starts. Yeah. So like, I, I think a lot of those old historical markers are just kind of 
footnotes of history, but but I do think uh, that there are plenty of things to look into uh, when it comes to Taba. Like, like notably is why only one work since the Santa Anita Derby? Uh, why did he wind up on the vet list uh, after that race? Like, like th- those are the types of things that concern me. Well, why did he work with blinkers all of a sudden at Churchill Downs and, and was it a terrible work? Like, like th- those are the things that really are uh, are curious to me. I have a kind of a defensive usage opinion of, of, of Taba. Like, I'm, I don't, I don't like the horse. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be around at the end. But at the same time, I admit that I could be very. I think it's an either or with Taba. Either this horse is like the real deal, legit. All the worries about the workouts and being unsound or, or unfounded. And he rolls, or it's going to be like, ooh, he finished fourteenth. So uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's kind of like a middling. Right now, we ran an okay race. I, I think he is the real deal, or I think he's completely up the track. And if you want to see a uh, an uproar on, on Saturday evening in the racing world, uh, put this horse in the winner's circle, and I'm sure you'll get some uh, some interesting reactions. Can we please get a camera on Baffert's face after Taba wins this thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that would be bro, just daggers. It'd be, it'd be a giant, be a giant middle finger in that picture too, probably. <laughs> yeah, it sure would. Oh my god, that would be just extraordinary and terrible. But just you know, it's almost like one of those things you just have to watch, right? My god, hundred three buyers, hundred two buyers. He looked great in the Santa Anita Derby. Now, of course, there's only what five horses in the Santa Anita Derby. Wide open, pretty much track, but Messier's the other one, and he took second. And a lot of people said Messier kind of took off uh, or, or was held back a little bit, you know, at the end of that race. They're like, yeah, we're in the Derby, you know, kind of last stretch, just hold him back. I still think he was beat by Taba, but, you know, that's why there's a little bit of hype for Messier. But one thing I will say is Taba's not 12 to 1. You know, Taba's going off right now about 7, 8 to 1, isn't it, Marco? Well, it was impressive to say Anita Derby. There's no question when you watch the race physically and it was the horse's second lifetime start. You generally don't, you know, jump into a stake race in your second lifetime start, especially a race like the Santa Anita Derby. Now, granted, it was a small field and it really was only three horses in that race. But the way he handled himself, he left, then was able to be pulled off. Mike Smith gave him a great ride pulled him off, and let the other two horses do the heavy lifting. Um, the favorite cut the mile. Messier sat right on his flank, and then Messier went right by him. Now, uh, when they turned for home, here comes Taba, and Taba put in a gallant effort going right by Messier. And as you pointed out, and I talked about this on the show, I do Pony Pundits, uh, if you want to play conspiracy theory, going into the Santa Anita <laughs> Derby, not knowing – how the other races played out that day, the stake races uh, for, you know, derby points and such. They went into that race. Basically, the only way Table was going to make the derby was with a win. And, you know, Messier finishes second is good. He's already going to be in the derby. So was there a little bit of conspiracy theory there? That doesn't uh, happen in <laughs> racing, Marco. Come no, on. Yeah, okay. They're it's both all on the up and up. <laughs> the best horse win. God. That's, you know, that's why, you know, I, you know, I'm high on both horses. Now, part of the reason that we're seeing the back off on uh, Taba uh, with the workouts and so forth, after the race, 
you know, they always talk about, you hear the phrase, somebody says, oh, man, whenever he, uh, the winning horse pulled up, he couldn't even blow a, a, a match out, meaning the horse wasn't breathing heavy, you know, was full of, you know, uh, could have went another mile, you know, after the race. That wasn't the case with uh, Taba. The horse did look physically exhausted after the race, and he should be. It was only a second yeah. lifetime start, and that was a big race. He put up a balloon buyer number in that race, and the horse has a license to bounce. So to prevent the horse from bouncing, they have trained him cautiously. They've backed off a little because they want to try to get some more gas in the tank, and no pun intended with a Bafford horse, about, uh, you know, not having any gas in the tank. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the horse was, you know, physically, you know, spent after that race. So that's part of the reason coming in here. And if we want to buy into the conspiracy theory, man, that's got to make you like Messier, doesn't it? It sure would, you know, and um, and and that's kind of the whispers I'm hearing a little bit. But right now, there's these are just conspiracies, and so you wonder. You know, what's funny about horse racing is when I do a college football card, it starts with 15 games, and I and I you know whittle it down. Right? Uh, unfortunately, with horse racing, I start with like three horses, and it blows up. You know, it's like I like this one now. I like this one. I like this one, and my card's just getting way too expensive. But. Uh, you know, it's just fun listening to all the uh, noise coming in here. And maybe there's some truth to some of it. It's almost like the draft was last week. Um, it, who's the true horse here? I can only go by, uh, you know, the trainers and, and their past uh, performances, right? And that's and that's what I'm looking at. But that's why I want to bring up a couple sleepers to you. And I'm going to give you two that I like. And maybe you can guys can give me one, obviously. You being the experts, give me your opinion on my thoughts here. But uh, one of them was Charge It, I believe. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I got to find him. And there's something I liked about him. Number, number, number eight horse. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, when I watched oh, the Florida. Watch your Louis yes, yes, Sias. And when I watched the Florida Derby, Sias hits the gate. He kind of screws him up a little bit. But I'm watching the end of the Florida Derby. He took him really wide around that turn. And then he bumped another horse, screwed him up completely, knocked him off. While White Abario, who's in this race, wins this thing. But I thought Chargit was the better horse. Chargit was gaining ground. Obviously, if the race was a little bit farther, I think Chargit might have caught him. I thought Chargit was the better horse there. And I'm seeing him 20 to 1. He's one of my sleepers. Any thoughts on that one, Marco? Yeah, uh, charge it definitely. Uh, in that race, the Florida Derby, I was with my buddy that I do the Pony Pundits show with, Sig, and uh, we both had bet White Abario that day. We cashed the ticket. I turned to Sig the minute that race was over, and I said, I know we had the winner, but I was more impressed with charge it, what he did in that race. And you pointed out all of the points, one that you missed was in deep stretch, and he showed his immaturity, uh, his greenness, and that's a horse term for you know, a horse that's immature. That was only his third career start. He lunged in badly in the stretch. Uh, if he runs a straight line, I don't think he wins that race. White Barrio was in hand, but I think it is much closer than it was. And for the horse to do that in his second start and race in a different style than he was accustomed to, uh, this horse has a license to make a big-time jump on Saturday. And I always say it. Horses that enter the Derby, that this is only going to be their fourth or fifth start, they have come nowhere near their ceiling. And that's when, you know, in K-1 
kids, you talk about growth spurts. Um, you talk about the light bulb going off with some of these young horses. And Charges showed me a lot in the Florida Derby that he has every right to improve from that. In the way his buyers have been jumping, if he makes another jump, he's right there on Saturday. Yeah, plus his price yeah, and, and his sire. Tap it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am I am a, a definitely intrigued by Charging. Uh, I'm having a, a column come out on ESPN.com. And here's exactly what I wrote. I'm a little intrigued by him. Well, Saez send was the off-the-pace trip as a result of the bad start in the Florida Derby or is a little bit more of an educational experience uh, for a potential run here in the Derby. He's got every right to improve in his second start against winners and also has every right to be simply a pace factor. He should stay the mile and a quarter. He's 20 to 1 or longer. It should not be double the price of, of Wider Barrio. And I'll I'm going to use him just in case Saez does the right thing and sits right up to speed. So, yes, I, I think he is a very, he is a, a, a price horse that definitely warrants a look. All right. Well, look at that. Glad I picked, glad I sniffed that one out. The other one I had as my sleeper, um, Cyberknife. And I believe he won. Mm, now you're talking my language there, bud. All right. All right. So I, I think, he, and I, and I did this all last night. So uh, I, I I didn't know what you guys were thinking, and I, I didn't I purposely didn't go into your shows yet, so we can kind of come in this with an open mind. But what I liked about Cyberknife is that his buyers kind of keeps coming up, just as Marco said. You know, he keeps growing a little bit, and I like what he did in the Arkansas Derby. I thought he uh, was a powerful horse, and Cox is a fantastic trainer, and um, it's just like at his price. I think this was also twenty to one, Chris. Uh, uh, that's mm-hmm. that's my other sleeper. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I like Cyberknife, and I think there are a lot of people who want to knock this horse um, to, just because of uh, it's taken him a while to, to come along. But I had him in the Arkansas Derby. I'm going to have him again here. Uh, I, I think he, since the Blinkers came off in that first try against Winter in the Lacombe World, and by the way, he was 5-1 to one against Epicenter, so he was pretty highly thought of in that race. Uh, I, I think people maybe are making the argument that his buyers are a little light, uh, which is, could be very much true, uh, but it also could mean that the horse hasn't reached the bottom yet, and there's more to him than, than what we've seen. I don't think the distance is going to be a question. I think it's just a question of whether he's good enough or not. Uh, I think the type of trip that he's going to get and I, from, from post-16, which would be from off the pace, I, I think it's the type of trip that will be the winning type trip in this race, and uh, I like him a whole lot. Like I, I, I think he or Zandon will ultimately be one of the horses uh, that wins this race. Because uh, I, I think if you look at the and, and people always want, well, he, he he ran this, he ran that. And I just kind of go through line by line in the uh, in the past performances. The fact that he started out uh, at Churchill Downs and ran two good maiden races at Churchill. He won his debut and got taken down, and then uh, was, was daylight clear for of second, for four second in the in his second start. Went to fairgrounds, won. Then you throw him in, in, in his first start against winners is in the greatest stakes race. Like, and they put the blinkers on in that race. Like There are reasons 
to draw that a line or right through that race. Like 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 first starting against winners in a stakes race is not a race where you normally are expected to win or even come in second. So throw that race out. He took the blinkers off, got his confidence back uh, with, with a stalking trip at fairgrounds, an optional allowance race, and then they put him in the Arkansas Derby where he won easily. So uh, I like the progression of this horse, and I think he's a major player on Saturday. Marco? His style is perfect for the Derby. He's got enough speed that he can get out of the gate and find a spot and sit in just behind the leaders. I don't think he's going to be on the lead in this race. Uh, But when you talk about trainers, you know, Brad Cox, over the last three years, is there a trainer not named Bob Baffert that has won more big races than Brad Cox has. And uh, this is a guy that's... And the prices too, by the way, Marco. He He's a guy that, like, like he's one... What was she, Dare as a Devil, whoever that was? He won the... Won, a, won the Oaks or won that at a massive price. Mandaloon was 27 to 1. Like, like, yeah, his horses get bet every day of the week. But in these races like this, like, he wins. He pops at big numbers. Because he's not the household name yet that your Todd Pletcher's, your Chad Brown's, your Bob Baffert's, he gets looked over. And, uh, you know, and he's, you know, when you look at him, he doesn't look like a horse trainer. He looks like some guy that should be sitting at the bar having a beer <laughs> watching the races. Uh, but he's, get, he's getting, the, getting the job done. Uh, so you can't overlook him. And, yeah, the Arkansas Derby was impressive. I had a win ticket on him in that one as well. So, uh, you know, I like that performance. But uh, I'm not as high on him as you are, Chris. But he's definitely a horse that I will have on my exotics. I don't think he gets the win in this one, but I think he is a major player. All right, Marco, any other sleepers that you have that you might even use up top? Um, There's a horse that's progressing well at the right time. Uh, It is from one of the best trainers in the country, uh, and that is Todd Pletcher. Uh, gets one of the best jockeys in the country that's never won a Kentucky Derby yet <laughs> in Irad Ortiz, and that's Mo Donegal. Uh, this is a horse that's got the dreaded one hole. We don't want the one hole. Nobody wants the one hole. Well, you know what? A couple things about the one hole with this race and this particular horse. First off, if you're going to be coming from the back of the pack, it doesn't matter what post position you have, you're going to be coming from the back of the pack. So the one hole doesn't, isn't that big of a deal. And I go back to the horse that made me all my money uh, in that trifecta a few years back, looking at Lee, he had the one hole. And that was, you know, he just got totally overlooked, but he was a stone cold closer. It didn't matter. Uh, and he got up for second in that race. Uh, McDonagall, his, he's his own worst enemy. He doesn't break well out of the gate at all. And, you know, I talked about the other horse that doesn't break well. This horse breaks even worse. His last four starts had to rail, got away seventh. And these aren't 20-horse fields, okay? These are, you know, fields of eight, nine, ten-horse fields. Uh, he had the uh, two-hole, got away eighth, had to rail, got away fifth. This horse just doesn't break well. But he closes like a freight train. He's going to be subject to traffic because he does have the rail, He's going to be at the rail. So he's going to have an opportunity to save as much ground as he can when he starts the move. At some point, if it is fast fractions, meaning they're going to go slower in the second half, also means that those horses that were involved in those fast fractions early are going to start coming back to you. And generally, those horses 
are in the one, two, and three path, so can clog up the rail a little bit. At some point, Irad's going to have to find a hole in where he makes the decision to come off the rail. Very seldom, you know, will you get a horse. I know, uh, you know, there's been jockeys that have been known for, you know, hugging the rail. Uh, Calvin Burrell uh, used to do it better than anybody else. Uh, but you don't get that clean rail trip all the time. He's going to have to navigate his way through. If he does, this is a horse that at a big number, and if you look at his buyers are improving every start, heading in the right direction, this is a horse that could hit the ticket at a big price. Um, but again, you're subject to pace and you're subject to traffic. And it's hard enough to win a horse race when you got a couple other things that have to go your way. But that's why it's horse racing. And it's why it makes for all those interesting combinations on those exactas and tries and brings you those big prices. You know, it's amazing that there hasn't been a horse that won the wood they hit the Derby Exactus since Empire Maker and Funny Side Ran One Two, two thousand three. I, I mean, from being a being a Naira guy all my life and a Northeast guy, like the Wood Memorial used to be like the most important prep out there. And, and for a Wood winner not to have cracked the exact in twenty years, I, I just find that incredible. That's nothing to do with what's going to happen Saturday, but it's just horrible. Like, really, how could that be? What like what happened to like all these Wood winners in New York racing that they just haven't gone to the Derby and run well? I think part of it, Chris, unfortunately, is, you know, and you're right, the woods become irrelevant. Um, and I think a lot of the big trainers with the big, you know, the better horses, they don't want to go through the New York circuit in the springtime. You know, you've got you got rain, you got snow, you got cold conditions. They want to protect their horses. And I think that's why you see the horses go through the Florida circuit has been the most dominant for the Derby in recent years. I mean, you look at the last decade, how many horses have gone and on and won the Derby that have gone through the Florida Derby circuit. You know, it's weather. Uh, that's my reason. And if I'm a horse owner, do I want to be racing, uh, you know, a three-year-old that I've got all this money invested in on muddy tracks and so forth? You know what, you know, springtime's like in New York. And that's part of it, in my opinion. Let's not forget Baffert. Um, you know, his juiced up horses kind of were winning out, out of some other locations, obviously, Santa Anita, a lot of those. And, uh, and and that was probably a reason, too, I would think, you know, just just obviously the trainer with the horses coming in from a different side of the country. So um, I would assume that could be an answer, too. Um, well, let's talk about some horses that uh, or Chris, I, I missed you. Did you have another sleeper? Yeah, a horse that I, I really want to use, but again, I just don't know if he's going to be ridden the correct way. Uh, I, I think a lot has been made of the Florida preps, and those times came back slow, especially the, uh, the the final quarter, the final furlong. But simplification is a horse that if Jose Ortiz rides him the way he did in, in the Fountain of Youth, like again, that's the profile of a winning ride, a winning trip in the derby from off the pace or is he going to be sent to the lead like like he was in the florida derby um you could also have a little bit of the conspiracy theory there knowing that he was in the derby i didn't have to win the win the florida derby to get there they maybe just use that as a, a little tightener public workout but it was so long ago i don't know about that maybe it was a little bit of a bounce 
off of the big effort, but uh, he's had both the, he's had excuses in both of his races uh, against White Barrio. Like I don't think he should be double the price. Like Chargent was double the price of White Barrio. I don't think simplification should be double the price uh, of White Barrio either. Now maybe he's just simply uh, not good enough. And again. That's the that, that's fine, but again, that's part of the deal. Like Marco was saying, with with odds and prices and trying to find live, live long shots, you're willing to take twenty to one, twenty five to one on a hunt on your opinion that if I'm right, I'm going to be rewarded. So I, I think simplification is a horse that definitely warrants another long shot type look. Okay, you know, and and I, what I wrote down on him was that I thought he peaked in March, but you just told me he had some bad luck he there could've. and. Uh, and, and he's never left Gulfstream, has he? He's always just uh, no. raced, raced at Gulfstream. I think those were the two things that I that I wrote. But um, I, I'll keep that in mind, what you said about him. But let's get into some of the horses we're tossing. So um, this could be the fun part, and I'll start out here. I, I wrote down that we're going to toss, was it Tis the Bomb? I, I, I said if, if uh, he hits the board it's it, he's rightfully named because that bomb's going to blow out my ticket. So I'm, I'm going to see. Uh, I don't like him. I, I think he hasn't proven anything. Um, and so th- he's going off at 30 to one, which tells me he shouldn't have a chance. Um, I think uh, he did well in the dirt a long time ago, but then ever since then has completely faltered. Uh, so that's my first toss. You, any agreement? But before, before you go longer, can I comment on him? Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't think he's a throwout. I, I think you can make a long shot angle for him. Now, again, he's going to be a monster long shot. Uh, he did break Maiden at Ellis Park on the dirt. Uh, he has the look of a synthetic slash turf specialist. His best races have come on the synthetics and on the turf. But at the same time, he was 9-2 to two at Gulfstream against Wada Barrio, Simplification, and Mo Donegal on the Holy Bull off of a three-month layoff. Like, maybe he either A, needed that race, or B, didn't like Gulfstream. And if you're willing to maybe just overlook that and say, hey, he was thought of, maybe Gulfstream's a weird surface on a lot of uh, graded stakes races uh, days, like, you throw that out and you put a couple of bucks across the board and me, and who knows now look, I don't do I think he's going to win no but I don't think the chance is zero uh that that he that he can't win this race I, I think if you're willing to overlook that Gulfstream race and maybe take a take a leap of faith that, that he goes from synthetic to the dirt that he could at least clunk up and be part of uh the trifecta or superfecta figure okay well not one of Chris's throws out throw outs Marco who do you have to throw out well, I'm not throwing Tis the Bomb out either. Uh, if they go fast fractions, he's one of those horses that will be closing. Uh, the horse that uh, you, you could pitch, and this is one of those ones that's just uh, feel good for having a horse in the derby. Happy Jack, I have no idea why this horse is in this race. Okay, this horse is just to fill a gate spot. Um, you know, I would have rather seen one of the two uh, also eligibles in over this horse would have been more deserving, but uh, happy Jack. I, if I hit an all button, it'll be an all button minus one. <laughs> happy Jack will be excluded from the all ticket. Oh, yeah. Happy Jack will be going off at 99 to one. Uh, I, I think I wrote that I'm going to be happy. Should have been 99 to one on the morning line. <laughs> I don't know who made this year's morning line. Uh, I don't know what, I've never seen a, a morning line 
the way they're that they're all grouped. It's like, you know what? We're going to give you two favorites. We're going to give you like four or five in the middle, and then everybody else is thirty to one. <laughs> it's like, ridiculous. Like, I know. It's, it makes it's, it's sense. Like it's, like, it's like they set the morning line, like like well, we don't want to hurt the owners' feelings on saying that their horses had no chances uh, at at all. Like like, like how, how is summer is tomorrow thirty to one on the morning line? Like like he's got no shot. He's going to go to the front from from U, the UAE Derby and and be done. Like he's got no chance. Thirty to one. Come on. Here's your participation. He might cross the finish line by summer. Here's your part <laughs> participation odds is what they're giving these owners. Don't want to beat them down too bad. That makes sense to me a little bit. Um, yeah, I wrote down I'll be happy to toss him off of my card for happy Jack. Uh, why, why don't you give us a throw out, Chris? I'm definitely going to throw out summer is tomorrow uh, for sure. And uh, – I'm going to throw out might be a little bit of a um, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you an easy throw. Out, ethereal Road, uh, the the twenty the twenty horse, but like good luck if you're betting this horse. I mean, he clunk, he's clunked up. He's got no speed. D Wayne's in the field, fine. D Wayne wants to be in the Derby, fine. But this horse has got no shot. And another another one that if it wasn't D Wayne Lucas, yeah, Luis Contreras is going to have a horse factor into the Derby for post twenty. Come on. I, I wrote down finished seventh and fourth in his last two races this horse had never a buyers even faster than 84 i feel like i'm falling asleep just talking about him so uh marco uh, any other toss outs yeah I, I agree with him throw one other thing out there uh, that you didn't say on the horse he had to race on back-to-back -back weeks to get into the derby <laughs> to get the points him yep. and tawny port uh both had to do that which you have two horses that are right that are racing three races in five weeks. We never do that other than the Triple Crown. You don't race a horse of this caliber three times in five weeks, and that's what they're doing here. Uh, yes, definitely pitch him. Another horse that's a little bit intriguing, uh, do you want to pitch him completely? And it's the classic causeway. I know some people like him, but I don't think this horse – he races one way. He's going to go to the front, and I just don't think he can carry the speed. Uh, there's too much speed in this race. Uh, I don't like Classic Causeway. I don't either. I I, I, I don't I don't either. Like, like and you got like Baru a jockey who had had zero success in the Kentucky Derby as well. This horse never got past the ninety buyers speed figure. Took eleventh in his last race. And I think, yeah, the only cause is to toss him off your card is what I put on this one. Yeah. Um, I, and another, another throw out, I, I think, is Pioneer of Medina. I was about to say. Uh, it's always dangerous to throw Todd Pletcher out. But at the same time, like, you look at this horse's running style. Like, I, I think he's a vanity entry just to basically get the owners a ticket, go to get to the party, go around the track. Like, you look at his past performances, like, he should have been closer to the lead. In both of his stakes races, he wasn't. Now the blinkers come off, so that kind of just means he's, I think, again, he's just going to kind of go around the track. Like, I, you look at where this horse has run. Like, I don't think Todd Pletcher having started this horse at Monmouth, then you send him to the Calder meet at Gulfstream, and then to Tampa. Like, like, like this horse wasn't very highly thought of. And uh, he, he, I think he's just there to kind of go around the fact. If I could bet this horse to finish 12th, I think I'd be all in on it. <laughs> Chris, I got a question for you. There's a horse that I don't like, 
but is getting a lot of buzz about the way he's been working and his appearance on the track at Churchill. And we've seen it over and over again. These horses that come over from Dubai and the, you know, the Japan horses. Now we've seen the Japanese horses do better in the Breeders' Cup, but for the Derby, they don't. But Crown Pride is getting a lot of love by the way he looks in the morning. And I can tell you as a guy that's owned horses for the last 30 plus years, I've had a lot of horses that my trainer tells me how good they are in the morning. And that doesn't translate to how good they are in the afternoon all the time. Yeah, I don't like I don't like this horse either. Like the next UAE Derby winner that I bet on in the Derby will be the first. But like he's <laughs> I, and he's another horse that I don't think you're going to get close to, to the morning line just because of the, the, the buzz and, and the bullet works there and how he looks. But what about this horse's breeding that says, like, dirt? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think any of it says dirt. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't buy into the, the, the racing there. Like, if this horse wants to be Mendelssohn, that's fine. That's great. By all means, take some money and and be a non-factor, but I won't be betting on him. And I, and I think the uh, the other the, the runner-up summer is tomorrow is a throwout too. So uh, those those are horses that I am uh, very very happy to lead off my ticket. All right, Crown Pride off the ticket. So let, I, I want to ask you about this horse real quick before you get into quick strategy. Zozos at twenty to one. Now he did get easily beaten by Epicenter in the Louisiana Derby. But he looked like he could do some damage if something crazy happens. Um, inexperienced horse, only three races. But, you know, sitting out in the 19th hole, if chaos happens, muddy track, I, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts, Chris? I think this horse has a big future, and I am looking forward to, to seeing him at Saratoga and, the, and, and some other sprint races uh, during the year because I think he has a massive future as a sprinter. That was a really good performance uh, in, in his third career race uh, in the Louisiana Derby against Epicenter, finishing second and, and well clear of everybody else in, in this race. And, and I want to go back to what I had talked about earlier with Cyberknife. Like, Zozo's being in this race really helps Cyberknife and Tawny Poor to an extent, but he's I, I don't think he can win. The fact that Zozo's is in here, the only way he goes to... I, I think he's on the lead. I think he makes sure that Epicenter and in Classic Causeway and Messier and whoever else you want to throw up there on the lead, that he's there to make sure that those horses don't get away with an easy lead to hit kind of an uncoupled entry rabbit uh, for, for Cyber Knight. But, but I, think, I think this horse has a big future as a sprinter. I don't think he can get a mile and a quarter, but I do think his entrance in the race will affect how the race is run and ultimately – who does win it? Interesting. Good stuff. So, Marco, how are you going to approach this race? Is it similar to the way you approach all your Kentucky Derby races? Or maybe are you going to focus more on the trifecta than the exacta or, or the other way around? I go both. Um, I split my tickets up uh, to have coverage both ways. Uh, the exacta, you know, just it's easier to hit an exacta than it is to hit a try. I mean, that's the start with. So that's the protection bet. I'll go deeper with my tries and I'll get more creative with some longer shots in the tries because, you know, you bring one of those big numbers home in second or third, even the third spot, you can get a very good payout at the window. 
this is a wide open race, in my opinion, uh, outside of those two horses that are going to take all of the money. And because the two horses that are going to take all of the money are two opposite styles of racing, it's going to make for even wagering. Because if you thought the two horses to beat were the two that were going to be on the front end, it's easier to construct your tickets with how you're seeing the race going. But we're looking at this race as two different ways. And for me, if I have two key horses that way, a lot of my tickets are going to key around those two. Now, Chris said you don't want to have an exacto with those two running together. That's true. But I want to have my ticket construction with those two together because if the front runners hold, this is Epicenter's race to lose. If the front end collapses, it's uh, Don, you know, Zandon's race to lose, in my opinion. So I'll have it both ways, and I'll mix my tickets up uh, keying those two horses, but I only need one of them to finish first or second to get all my tickets home. Makes total sense. And being that I didn't ask you about the rain, are any of these horses mutters at all? Is three-year-olds, uh, you, you don't see them race that often in it. Unless it's a, it's a big stake race, one of the races that you're in for the Derby, if it comes up a rainy day, a lot of times they're going to pass on the race. They're not going to race a horse, you know, in an overnight race on a sloppy track when you've got, you know, a big future in front of you. So for most of them, this is going to be the first time that they really experience that. So until you have something to base it on, I don't let it affect me that much. But you can look at past history, look at the sire, look at the dam, uh, and see, you know, how those prodigies have done in off tracks over their career. But they all got a race over it. So I don't make as big of a deal of it as some people do, but it is something to consider. Chris? You know, no, I, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I think you saw Zandon was a little moisture in the track of Keeneland that day, but yeah, I, I think you just mainly have to. It's a guessing game for the most part. Like Marcus said, a lot of these horses, for the most part, are not. If they're highly thought of, their trainers are not looking to run them uh, and risk potential injury on a, on a non-fast going. So uh, I, I think you just it's guesswork, and you just kind of have to interpret the the sires uh, and, and, and dams off track uh, ratings. Plus, some of the bigger prep races were dry right this year. I mean, sometimes they weren't, and then we have a little bit more information on what can happen. So that's definitely part of it. And Chris, are you constructing your ticket similar to what Marco said? Yeah, but the, the way I'm, I'm constructing, and one of my best handicapping lessons or bits of advice was, what was Big Brown, 2008 or 2009? I forget what. It was one of those two years. Uh, a buddy of mine who is a really sharp, good handicapper uh, was dead against Big Brown that day. A and he said, I don't know who's going to win, and I'm not going to guess who is going to win, but I will tell you this, Dennis of Cork is going to hit the board. And all his, he, he made three bets that day. He bet three tries. Dennis of Cork, all, 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 all Dennis of Cork, all Dennis of Cork, all. And, of course, he got to Tara, win the, win the race at whatever, 30 to 1, a uh, huge price in the middle, and then Dennis of Cork ran third uh, at a big number, and he it came back massive. So, and that's kind of how I feel here. Zandon, 
or Cyberknife may not win the race, but I am pretty confident that one of those two with the running style and the way I project the race to go is going to hit the board. So my, my wagering strategy is going to hinge on uh, putting Zandon and uh, Cyberknife together and put them, uh, key them in an exacta in both spots, first and second, put them in exacta box with a couple of other horses. Uh, like right now I have a, my, my main exacta box back and forth is going to be Zandon and Cyberknife up top, and then I'm going to wind up using uh, Tis the Bomb, Simplification, uh, Taba, and White Aberio as well as, as the other horses that I like uh, to, to go with those two. So that, that's my main, and then I'll throw in another one uh, with, with, with a bunch of horses, then I'll play tries using uh, Zandon and Taba, Zandon and uh, Cyberknife in one spot and then using a bunch of uh, other logical horses uh, in the other one. The, the, the horses that I threw out completely that aren't going to be in my tries, uh, Ethereal Road, Classic Causeway, um, Pioneer of Medina, uh, Crown Pride, Summer is Tomorrow, and Happy Jack. Like those horses won't be on any of my tries. In fact, I tried to narrow my, my, my cost and my outlay down uh, on my tries by, by eliminating about a third of the field. Makes total sense. Well, how about the Oaks then, since we have a minute? Uh, any daily doubles that we're thinking about playing for this weekend, if you can give out that information? Yeah, I was going to say, I like Secret Oath in the Oaks. Um, I think that you, you look at her past performances and go line by line, and then you watch the race in Arkansas. It was a massively horrific trip. And now you go from Contreras to Luis Saez. Uh, I, I think she's going to get a little bit overlooked here because of the finish in that race, because she draws the rail, uh, because of the presence of, of Nest and, uh, and, and Kathleen O. Uh, I was surprised to see Nest, uh, morning line favorite in this race. And I think Echo Zulu as well. I think there's a chance that uh, Nest might even be the third choice because I think I think Kathleen O is going to go favorite in this race. I think Secret Oath uh, is going to be an overlay, and I really like her in this race. I gave out uh, Secret Oath uh, is one of my top two in uh, the Oaks, and uh, it was exactly fair. I'm big on replays. You know that, Kiev. I mm -hmm. preach that all the time, watching yeah. the replays. And just go back and watch her replay of the last race. And remember, that was against the boys. She got banged coming out of the gate, got, you know, sandwiched on both sides coming out of the gate. That's a filly. She likes to be nearer the pace. She had to come from off the pace because of that horrendous start. And then she was six wide all the way through the turn. And you watch the sweeping move she made from last to second. Looked like she was going to be clear. And then just at the wire, got caught uh, for second, finished third, just got, you know, last strides at the wire. She raced game. If she comes back, and that's the only thing I don't like about racing a filly against the boys. You know, you got a filly that's racing well. And I know, you, you know, everybody likes to try to do that, step up, you know, win the derby. I get that. You know what? I'm always of the belief. I like to be the big fish in a small pond and stay in your class. Okay. Stay in your lane, race against the girls, be dominant. My only concern is did that, you know, break her spirit at all racing against the boys? It didn't appear the way she raced in the way she's been training since then. Uh, but Secret Oath is a horse that should not be six to one in the morning line. All right, Secret Oath is the one that you guys are keying in, it sounds like. 
with your daily double. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you guys are going to be betting the full card here come Saturday and having a good time with that. Marco, where Saturday. Why, why are we waiting until Saturday? The, this whole weekend, guys. This whole weekend is going to be live with horse racing fun. And where can our listeners get some of that great information, Marco? Well, head over to wagertalk.com. Uh, you can see the complete show, uh, the Pony Pundit show, and we broke the show down. We covered the Oaks. We covered the contenders, the live long shots, and then uh, both myself and Sig gave our top four horses for the Derby. If you want to get my exact betting strategies of how I'm betting the race on Saturday, you can go to Wager Talk as well and pick up uh, my Saturday package. It will include makes it really easy and you know kiev i email that to you every year you can walk right to the window and just read right off of it and uh no no chance of making a mistake and ride along with me and i'll be uh saturday if anybody that's watching is here in vegas i'll be at the south point uh upstairs in the ballroom they they do it well we haven't got to do it the last couple years because of uh covid and stuff but we're back with the uh kentucky derby party and we can actually bet the Derby in Vegas. First time in three years. Uh, the last oh, two God. years. It, uh, yeah, it, it's the most stupid, absurd thing uh, with Churchill and Nevada racing, uh, you know, having to battle every year over a couple percentage points. Uh, they do it every year. They threaten not to carry it, but we got it back. So I'll be looking forward to that uh, Saturday at South Point. No more having to make it. Uh, by the way, Mar Marco, I'd like to place a bet with you right now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the college football rotation behind you. Uh, give me 137 <laughs> Texas A&M <laughs> over Kansas for the limit, please. If I can get the bet in, I'll gladly put it in for you, Chris. <laughs> that don't even make sense for basketball, guys. Jeez. So I, great stuff. Absolutely check out Marco. You do make it very easy, by the way. A little bit too easy for uh, me and, uh, and the rest of your clients. Chris, when's your great column coming out on ESPN? Column, column should be up uh, uh, at some point uh, Thursday, I, I would think. It should be up later today. It's definitely Friday morning. Uh, I just kind of go horse by horse, kind of like what we just did here. Uh, on ESPN.com, I offer the way I'm betting the race as well. Uh, hopefully, you can just take what I wrote uh, in, in my uh, wagering strategy, and they will understand it as well. And uh, the podcast with Sanford Steve is up and out there uh, right now as well, where I also have a couple of uh, undercard picks on Friday and Saturday, and we talk about the Oaks as well. Awesome. Great stuff. Make sure you guys check out Chris and Mark. Thank you so much, guys, for making the time coming on the Odds Breakers. Always a blast talking to you. I have to cut it off at some time. We can keep ripping on these horses forever and, and having a lot of fun with it. And I uh, just want to say how much I appreciate you guys. It is. This is one of the, uh, uh, the, the, the funner, funner is even a word, like, uh, funner, funner <laughs> days of the, of the year when, we, when, when us three get together and kind of kick around a bunch of horses like a bunch of idiots. So uh, it's a lot of fun. I, 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 I love doing this. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we cash a lot of tickets for some people. And, uh, good luck to everybody. Agreed. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, now it's time for a little UFC 274. And we went long, so I'm going to be pretty quick about this. Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje is the main event. It's a fantastic fight. I've liked Justin Gaethje for a long, long time. Just a 
fantastic striker. He's probably one of the best strikers in the 155 weight class, and that is definitely saying something because his class is absolutely loaded. But what I will say, he doesn't have a ton of ground game. He doesn't take down. And that's the way to beat him is uh, the way Khabib did and take him out. And obviously Charles over the past year and a half has greatly improved. And Charles now uh, is one of the elite grapplers, you could say, in the UFC. And that's why he's been kind of running through some guys uh, over the past few fights. He did actually TKO Michael Chandler. I thought he was actually very wobbled in the first round, but he got out of it. The round saved him, and then he came back and uh, beat Michael Chandler. Uh, caught him pretty good. Now, um, he did submit Dustin Poirier. That that was the best way to beat Poirier. Poirier is also a beast, and this was in December of 2021. I believe Poirier was the favorite here. But, you know, looking at what Gaethje has done, or no, sorry, Oliveira has done, just fantastic winning his last uh, nine fights. His last loss was back in 2017 to Paul Felder. He's one of the best in this weight class. Obviously, uh, the best is looked at as Islam Makachev, who is still up and coming, yet he would be favored over anybody in this weight class. The way I see this going down is probably in under two and a half rounds. The price is going to be minus 140, minus 145. The way I, I think Justin has to knock out Charles, and you saw Charles is a little bit vulnerable, um, just the way he was wow a little bit against Chandler. Um, I, I don't think that he's fought anybody besides Dustin Poirier that's as good as Gaethje. I think Gaethje and Poirier are the best strikers. And uh, the only way Gaethje's going to win this is by doing it. But at the same time, Charles, being such a great grappler, is going to get Gaethje down, and he's going to be going for the neck at some point as well. I think that happens sooner than later. Under 2.5, not a terrible price. I don't love the fact that I'm paying juice on it, but that's the only way I could look at it. Not saying I'm going to play it like that, but I'm just going to give you a heavy lean right now uh, on the under rather than a side. So let's move on to a fight that I will have a play on. Actually, two plays. It's one of those scenarios where I see a couple different things happening. Michael Chandler is facing Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson's kind of like freaking Rocky. Maybe without the wins, but the dude can absolutely take a punch. He sits there and he can last forever. You know, his last three lo losses was to Benil Dariush, which is amazing in this weight class. I keep forgetting about Benil. Uh, and then, of course, Charles Oliveira. Both those fights went to decision. Shocking against Benil. He's such a great stand-up fighter. And his fight against Justin Gaethje, they lost, um, went five rounds, three minutes, and 39 seconds. So this fight went far. Well, this is a three-round fight, okay? So um, before those three losses, he beat Cowboy Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Kevin Lee, Rafael Dos Anjos, pretty good fighters, at least Lee, Pettis, and Dos Anjos, not so much Cowboy Cerrone anymore. But uh, my point is this kid can last and he can fight with the best of them. So Michael Chandler, great stand-up fighter, likes to punch, pretty good at takedown defense, but he has a, he's submitted some people in the past, just nothing lately like he hasn't submitted anybody since he was in the bellator now if you remember he came with a lot of hype from the bellator beat the crap out of dan hooker which yeah we kind of found was a little overrated but then you know he loses to charles in that tko which we thought he was winning the fight and then he loses by decision 
to Gaethje. Well, that kind of tells me that he can last a little bit. I think that the price is incorrect on this fight. I think that he should be more minus 175 against Tony Ferguson, who's beaten a lot of great fighters, and uh, someone who can last so long. You know, I think minus 400 is absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, Tony Ferguson at plus 310, there's some value there. So that's one side of the bet I'm going to make. Plus 310 on Tony Ferguson for a star. The other side is that I think if Chandler does win, it's probably going to be by decision just because Tony Ferguson lasts. Instead of laying minus 400 or something ridiculous like that on Michael Chandler, it's minus 380 right here. Take the plus three ten on Tony on uh, or sorry, take the plus three ten on Tony first. Take the plus two fifty on Michael Chandler to win by points or by decision. Much better value here, especially for the fact that this fight is going to take uh, three rounds. I haven't seen Ferguson not last that long in a very long time. Ferguson's older. It also shows me that he can take a punch, and he's done it through uh, throughout his career. Now, over one and a half rounds on this fight is minus 168. So that tells you that it's at least going to go past halfway as far as the juice is concerned on the total of this fight, on the total rounds. So Michael Chandler, plus 250 to win by points, and take Tony Ferguson, uh, plus 310 just to win it outright. You have a lot of outs there and a good situation. You're probably really getting about plus 135, plus 140 odds, being that you're betting a unit on each side. So that's what we're going to do. And one star on each. My friends, if you have any questions, feel free to tweet us at the Odds Breakers. My friends, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Huge shout out to Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk and Chris Felica from ESPN for coming on and breaking down the run for the roses. Have a blast watching the fights and all the games this weekend. Have a blast watching the Kentucky Derby and go get some winners. 